Welcome to the latest episode of Transmissions from the Ninth World. I'm your host, David Brown, and with me tonight is my co-host, Jim Ryan. Howdy, folks! Um, And it's just us tonight, but we have a a slew of guests from the Cypher gaming community. Um, With us tonight is a a good friend of mine um, and a a pretty fun guy, uh, Mr. James Walls. Hi, and James, I, I, I forgot to mention, James has a great thing on his site, and I'll let him say it, but I'm asking all our guests tonight to give us a Numenera character sen- sentence describing themselves. So, James, what's yours? Oh, yeah, stolen from uh, the, the great Darcy Ross. I'm a frantic game master whose improv is ridiculous. Wow. Sounds like you should, like, drop a mic when you say that. Um, James uh, has his um, blog called I Live for Crits. Um, that's I live for crits.blogspot.com. Um, he's also part of the Norwin Game Nights. Is that? Yep, still there. Okay. So, what what is the Nor- Norwin Game Nights? So we have uh, I'm in the Pittsburgh area, and on the eastern end of town, we have a local family friendly game club. Uh, we've got a hundred and approaching 130 members right now. Jeez. And uh, we just every month get together and play games, and I tend to lead the role playing contingent. Fantastic. Well, cool. Well, welcome to the show. Thanks for uh, having me. And, and I did I did forget to mention, the reason um, James is on and the others who, who I'm going to introduce in a moment are on, is we're having a, a GM... Did I already mention that? I think I did. GM Roundtable. So, um, uh, let's talk to Nobilis Reed. Um, talk, talk to me. Uh, uh, what's your character sentence? I am a prolific podcaster who thinks bizarre thoughts. All righty, then. Um... Tell me about your background and, and uh, uh, your experience with uh, the Cypher system. Well, um, I actually, uh, most people are, who know me know me as a fiction podcaster. Okay. And in fact, um, uh, erotic fiction. And several years back, um, Shannon Germain ran a a, a, pod, a Kickstarter for a geek, an erotic geek fiction anthology. Absolutely. And I submit, I I um, I backed the Kickstarter and I submitted to the anthology. My stories weren't um, weren't accepted, but we did get the stretch goal on that Kickstarter to produce an audio version, which I produced for. Uh, for geek love, cool. Very so cool. that's how I kind of had a connection to Shana Germain from the beginning. Very cool. Uh, and then when the, so the, then when the Numenera Kickstarter, you know, came up, um, I was already on her mailing list and getting notifications about this sort of thing. So I'm like, oh, this looks cool, and it's Mighty Cook, and I have to be in on this. And so I backed it at a level that would just give me the bare minimum to play because mm-hmm. I knew that. When I when I buy systems, I don't generally go in for everything because right. I want to create my own stuff. So I just you know I just buy the rule book and maybe a couple other things, and that's all I usually do. 
Um, and that was a terrible mistake. <laughs> uh, I should have gone all in on like the ebook bundle that gives me everything that they ever made. Um, yeah. Because I'm still buying everything. Yeah, sure. Um, it would have been cheaper to get it from the Kickstarter. Uh, and immediately started a Numenera game um, uh, over Skype with some friends I already knew who were interested in gaming. And we've been playing that one for a while. Um, and then I was at a con and I bought a paper copy that somebody had for some reason. Um, and then the strange Kickstarter came up and I was like, okay, I'm not making the same mistake twice. <laughs> and I went all in for the ebook, everything on the strange Kickstarter. And within, and we, I've started a, um, a, a game of the strange over on Ello, which is a new, sure. Um, new social media site thing and uh, basically just as a reason to go there because I could run it pretty much anywhere but um, so I've got a few friends who are playing that and we're kind of crossing uh, uh, where they're spending their time right now in a recursion based on Roger Zelazny's Amber cool oh, cool. Very cool. Uh, I with the multi-dimensional nature of Amber I thought that was a really good fit yeah. Um, and in fact, I kind of suspect that Amber was on their minds when they made it. But shh. <laughs> cool, cool. All I'm right. never going to ask. Awesome. Them, I'm never going to ask them that in person because it, if it was, they still couldn't. Probably couldn't. Wouldn't be a good idea to say so. Yeah. Right. But anyways. Yeah. Um, and so, and that was, that has been tremendous fun. We put it on hiatus for the holidays because so many of us were, you know, away from computers and stuff. Uh, that's going to start up again soon. And I have an in-person game with some friends of mine here in the D.C. area that I'm going to start up for The Strange. So if all goes according to plan, I'll have three different games running simultaneously. This is in addition nice. to writing and having my own podcast. So sure. I'm, I'm, and a life. I'm an insane person. Yes. And a life. <laughs> and a job and kids and wife and sure, all those sort sure, of things. Sure, sure, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> that is awesome. I, I, as some of the listeners, as some listeners may know already, I, I'm a, a rabid Amber fan, so I, I heartily approve. <laughs> uh, do, do we want to let uh, uh, let Nobilis give his uh, website? Oh yeah, stuff? absolutely. Yeah, we we jumped jumped into the cipher stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, um, uh, my my main website for my podcast is nobilis.libsyn.com. Uh, that is an erotic fiction podcast. If you're not uh, if you're not grown up to, enough to shop in the grown up section of the bookstore, probably not a good idea to go in there. Um, but um, yeah, we've been going. This is going to be my ninth season this year. Uh, there's over 300 episodes wow. available on the podcast. Wow, awesome! Very cool. That's, that's why I call myself prolific. All right, that is true. <laughs> All right, now last but not least, in the in the least, uh, Joshua Burnett. Uh, who's a designer for Hex Games. Hi. Welcome to the show. Hello. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your... Uh, uh, well, well, first off, what's your character sense? I am a uh, eclectic gamer who sleeps too little. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. Y'all. So while you're not sleeping, what are you doing? Okay. Uh, Lex, I, uh, as you mentioned, thank, uh, thank you that I do work for Hex Games. I'm uh, assistant creative director. I uh, do writing, art, layout, all that stuff for them. Uh, the maker of Quags and uh, Hobo Answer and other uh, games that we think are fun and hope other people do too. Um, I'm also part of the Monkeys Took My Jetpack podcast and the Porcelain Llama Theater podcast, which are actual play podcasts. Um, They're awesome. Thank you. Um, and I'm also uh, have my uh, Bernie the Flump blog, which is uh, 
which is uh, mostly just me rambling about uh, illustration, mapping, games, and that sort of thing for a wide variety of games, basically whatever's caught my attention, everything from Monster Hearts and Fate to BXD&D and Numenera. Uh, cool. So that's, what cool. I, that's what I that's what I've been doing. Very cool. What's your exposure to the Cipher system? My exposure to the Cipher system, um, I did not kickstart or anything. Oh, yeah. you're off the show. No, I know. Uh, no. <laughs> no. When I started playing Carcosa, um, uh, Jeff McKinney's uh, game, um, I got really into like the weird uh, kind of psychedelic sci-fi stuff. And uh, I tried playing it with my group and, at home here, and they had absolutely no interest in it at all. No. So I started looking around for other systems, and I went back to Numenera because I had been like uh, – I, I was familiar with Numenera because I kept following it because it was all over my uh, my feeds, mm-hmm. as everyone was talking about. And I finally gave it a shot, and I looked more into it, and it kind of started uh, you know, building on my mind space to uh, you know, look more and more into it, and I – Broke down and bought the PDF because it was on sale. And I read through it, and I liked it enough that I, about a week later, dropped the money for the hardback. So I've got that now, too. Yeah. Um, I'm like a dealer. Yeah. <laughs> now you want the best eerie, don't you? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so I ran it uh, a couple times for my group here because it was a little closer to the type of gaming they were used to as opposed to the... Um, the more old school stuff I was wanting to run with them at the time, which is, mm-hmm. you know, the world sucks, you kind of suck too. Yeah. Uh, don't get eaten by rats. Numenera <laughs> uh, allowed a little more heroic action. Um, you can do that in Numenera too. Oh, I'm sure you can. <laughs> uh, but it's not hard coded in like it is in some of the stuff I was uh, trying to pitch them. That's true. Okay. Uh, and like I said, Numenera's been fun for tweaking my. Uh, it, it tweaked my uh, interests in just weird sci-fi fantasy mashup, as well mm-hmm. as uh, nice open maps that let me put my own stuff into the empty places. Cool. Very cool. Well, I, yeah. The rats are friendlier in Yuminera, I think. Well, well they talk to you. Rats. They only call them rats, but that's not exactly what they are, yeah, right. oh. as you know. True, like, true. Like a scorpion. Um, and I want to. We kind of um, skip through James because I think a lot of people um, are aware of James. James um, got some notoriety in a good way, not in a bad oh. way, um, uh, <laughs> for uh, taking his kids through a Disney-fied version of Numenera, um, which captured a lot of our interest and, and stuff. And he's certainly done plenty of non-child-friendly, not non-child-friendly, but non-child-centric stuff. And um, uh, I'm, just as, I'm just as crazy as as Nobilis. I think I, I have I have like four campaigns going at the moment. Okay. You know, <laughs> and uh, I have one that meets once a month for the Strange. One that meets twice a month for Numenera. Uh, a weekly game, just whatever we're playing. Usually it's cipher based on Tuesday nights, and then I have what I do with the family. And yeah, that's that's kind of how I got started with blogging last about a year ago. Mm-hmm. Was just a place is like a repository for at the time my Savage Worlds uh, play reports and then what I was doing with my, my daughters and my wife and we ran last year 18 sessions of a, of a campaign with Numenera with 
Disney laid over top of it, and <laughs> it fit really well. And the, and the Legos were helpful too. Yeah, well, you know, Legos are now a, a staple in my house. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we 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 I like them for any system. I started using them for Savage Worlds initially because I wanted miniatures, but getting kids to play with miniatures. My daughters at the time were mm-hmm. uh, ten and seven when they started, nice. and uh, that helps grab them and, and pull them in. They have the Lego characters they can build. But uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of how... And then from there, it's just, <clears throat> just steamroll. We, I, I always have one game going with my kids, although we've right now we're, we're playing Savage Worlds. Very nice. Very cool. Um, and uh, you also ran... Didn't you have a, a space hack of Numenera that you ran? <clears throat> yeah, I, I run it... Uh, I, I ran a... Last year at uh, International Tabletop Day, our club met, and I put just – I didn't even think about taking the Cypher system outside of Numenera until then I wanted to run something that was like a sci-fi game. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about using Alternity, an old system from TSR. Absolutely. From the, the late night. I loved Alternity so mm-hmm. much. Uh, but to show it to new players was kind of challenging. And I found that one thing for the Cypher system that works for me – is that new players take to it so quickly. Like, mm-hmm. people have never played before. Because having the club, I often have people that are, like, in their mid to late 50s just show up and say, I want to try a role-playing game because you guys were doing it and having fun. And it's like, okay. And they've mm-hmm. never seen the game in their entire life. Mm-hmm. So bringing the Cypher system is great for that. Mm-hmm. But I did uh, a one-shot of it in April. And then in November and December of this year, I did about I did five sessions of a hard sci-fi game, just hacking Numenera and the Strange and throwing it in. So I'm pretty excited to see the Cypher core book come out in the summer. Yeah, that's going to be a cool cool system. Um, I'm really excited that they're going there. Um, It'll be great. So, yeah, and, and, you know, people who listen to the show may or may not know me. Uh, obviously, um, part of the uh, editorial uh, board at, at Monty Cook Games, but um, have been doing this podcast with Jim and our fellow, our fallen fellow, Eric. Um, hope, hope to get him back sometime soon. But um, he's not really fallen, I just say that. So. <laughs> I was going to say, what happened? No, yeah, yeah, nothing I just happened. saw him oh, last night. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> no, he's just, he's just got, you know, family stuff and going on right now. But, um, so... Yeah, so my big experiences is I've run um, a lot of online games, especially when Numenera was coming on coming in. I, I ran a lot of playtests. I ran playtests of the Strange. Um, I've run several um, uh, of the official games for Monty Cook uh, um, at the conventions. Uh, James did as well. Yep. Uh, call you out on that. Um, and then just um, I played in. Uh, the online uh, Numenera, or Ninth World Chronicles game that Andrew Katie ran. Um, it's kind of on a, a hiatus slash, you know, indefinite leave kind of scenario. Um, but uh, love both, you know, love all the systems and love uh, playing it. Um, uh, I've run it at a couple game stores as well. And uh, people, you're, you're absolutely right, James. It's very easy, and especially in con. You know, con is a little different. People typically have at least role played before, but um, you know, at a game store, it, it is. It's very easy to pick up. It's very easy to teach people the 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 sentence and how that you know dictates their character and um, teach them the systems. But you know what? I still um, trip over stuff a lot. Um, 
And then I do have a, an ongoing Numenera um, game that I've started recently. Um, my uh, Andrew Katie's a player, uh, friend Tom Fleming's in it, and another friend, uh, Matt Starn. You don't know these people, but I'm telling you their names anyway. Anyway, um, we've started out by running the uh, Beyond All Worlds, Robert Schwab's um, Dark and Twisted uh, module, which uh, is available as a glimmer for anyone who's interested in it. It's quite the uh, interesting take on uh, uh. Numenera stuff. Have you run it, James? I was uh, um, I was in a game that uh, Lex Starwalker ran, and it was it was brutal. It's yeah. an it's a very impressive adventure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It is. Uh, it was interesting seeing Robert's take on the whole thing, and and he's a good guy, and he's you know got stuff. He's he's the one doing the. Uh, design work on this the shotguns and sorcery and i think he's got other stuff uh other was it shadow of the demon lord coming out which sounds pretty robert schwabish um he's known <laughs> for his darkness so um so that's my background um in in gming so we've got a, a gambit here um jim you've run a couple games is that right yeah yeah i've, I've not run a lot of numenera i've run uh a couple of sessions uh, mostly it was uh, the uh, adventure I put together for uh, specifically for conventions, mm-hmm. um, the uh, the Towers of Glass scenario, and uh, that's whenever I run that, that usually gets good feedback. It usually gets uh, positive feedback, and so it's uh, uh, hopefully it's it, it it touches some people's fun places, um, as it were. Dirty man. All right, so we've got a good gamp, you know, good uh, broad spectrum here. James uh, Nobilis and and I doing a considerable bout. Joshua and Jim, um, kind of newer at at the actual thing. Not that Jim's new at GMing, and I don't want to make assumptions about <laughs> you, Josh. I, I assume that you've done plenty of GMing beyond Numenera. Yes. Good. All right. I mean, there, there's podcast proof that he's done uh, more GMing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Done. 25 yeah. years worth of GMing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Enough said. Enough said. <laughs> All right. So good. Um, and, and um, yeah. So we've got a uh, lot of lot of uh, experience GMing and, you know, a good, good amount of uh, experience with the Cypher system. So let me ask some questions to the group and let's, you know, kind of have these discussions. Um, and I'm when I mention a question i'm going to pick on one of you specifically and then anybody else have you know stuff to add or whatever we'll go from there so i'm going to i'm going to pick on you james because you kind of you hinted about uh, this exact phrase and and uh, the question i had was what works for you in a cipher system game uh we'll, we'll leave it at that right now okay <laughs> uh, don't get too specific yeah, yeah no, no 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 yeah don't <laughs> yeah no i i'm saying like what what about the cipher system is, you know, you mentioned that it, it's easy, easily accessible to, to even non-role players. What else about it, you know, is a good, good, uh, you know, thing that works well for you? No, I got gotcha. you. I, I understand. So, what my take on it is, the great thing with the cipher system that I think works so well for entry-level gamers as well as those people that have only played one game for 25 years, they've, you know, they just played Dungeons & Dragons, all they've touched, is it is the perfect balance of storytelling and character development, and you have those elements, that I think really helps new players come into the game, and the, that incredible loot-grab system that you have with the ciphers and the artifacts and the oddities, that you're giving those experienced players new toys to play with all the time. And on the other hand, you're, you're giving your players that are, are newer to the session 
a, a robust uh, system on just how to tell a story because everyone's told a story, you know, to their kids, to their friends, whatnot. And I think Cypher system, uh, you know, takes that, brings it down to just a single die mechanism that's easy to understand but nuanced enough for the experienced players. And I think that's just it's a it's a great balance. And I think that's what what works the best is it is just a phenomenal balance of systems. Great. Um, what about uh, what about you, uh, Nobilis? What do you think is something special about the Cipher system? I really like the way that the 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 for lack of a better word, magic items, the ciphers and artifacts and things, um, can never overbalance the game. Um, there's a limit to how many ciphers you can carry, um, and they go away, and ciphers go away, and if you decide to create something wacky, um, you know, you give it a really high, either make it a cipher, you know, the first time you make it a cipher, and if it worked out okay, then you can next time you can make it an artifact that does something like that, but give it a uh, uh, an exhaust- exhaustion check that's like one in six or something like that, and and um, you don't have to worry too much that it'll get um, it'll get overused and dominant in the play mechanic. Um, so it, it encourages ex- experimentation and just making up stuff. Um, uh, and um, and that kind of leads into the broader thing of the entire game really supports well a, a kind of an ad lib style of play, mm-hmm. um, where I don't have to go in and spend three hours or five hours to prepare for one hour of play. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, you know, I can have a few things sketched out on note cards. I can have some little plot ideas. Um, and anything that I don't use in one session, I can just put away and bring out later. And I don't spend huge amounts of time in prep because I don't have huge amount of time for prep. If I would, if I was playing D and wouldn't be I wouldn't be playing because there's just too much time spent, too much time spent fiddling numbers to to get in. And I don't and I don't miss all that extra stuff. Yeah, you know. Um, you know, it's got it's it's got the exact level of um, complexity. It's got, it, it's got the right level of complexity. You can just kind of keep it all in your head at the same time. Mm-hmm. You don't have to consult a lot. Um, consult your character sheet or the rules or the adventure or what have you. Um, uh, and I can play very off the cuff. And being able to play that way means I get to play more. And it's really what I'm after. The 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 the, the thing I'm after is sitting around a table or a Skype connection or what have you with my buddies um, making up stories. Mm-hmm. So the less time I can, the less I can, I can spend in prep, the better. Cool. Josh, what, um, when you started playing, what, what connected with you as a GM? Uh, it's what I like best is that uh, Numenera is incredibly easy to GM. Mm-hmm. Uh, much like Nobilis was saying there, it's, um, the basic simple mechanics of the level and the target number mm-hmm. and how that applies to everything from, you know, locking, unlocking a door to fighting, you know, a thunderworm. Mm-hmm. All basic comes down to that, those two numbers. It makes it really easy to improv challenges 
uh, or anything on the fly because you figure out like, well, how difficult do I want this to be? There's my number, multiply that three, there's my other number. And if I want to add pretty much anything else is just flavor then on right. that, which uh, some people I know see that as a bug. I see that as a, as a feature yeah. uh, to yeah. make it that simple. And, and I love how that, that the, the mechanic um, can translate into any arena of conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've got a bunch of courtesan, uh, a bunch of courtiers in a in a royal court, each trying to convince the king to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, you can set people's reputations up as their hit points and make oh. social attacks <laughs> oh, nice. yeah. uh, with with uh, rumor and innuendo to uh, to you know. Uh, embarrass them out of the court, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. uh, it, it's um, you, you know it, that's not explicit in the rules, but it's implicit, you know. Yeah, it's uh, very flexible in that regard. Yeah. Um. Well, cool. Does anybody have any trouble um, teaching the concepts of edge and effort in their in their games to their players? If I don't think I think as long as you're starting out. At first here, no, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but uh, I know that, you know, in this summer when we ran at Gen Con running um, the Violet Vale starting at second here was a challenge for a few players. I think that's one of the areas where if you've never seen this system or touched the system before, starting at a tier higher than first uh, can be a challenge. Yeah, I had I had a problem early on with the first game I ran with players being confused that edge was not a bonus. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. a discount on the cost. Right. And I, and like each session I had to remind them at the beginning that the edge was a discount on the cost of buying a bonus. Yeah. So, yeah. so, or, or for that matter, doing anything else. And, um, and that, that took a little while to sink in because I don't think there are many other games that do that. I agree. I agree. Yeah, it's it's sort of like saying, "Hey, we're rewarding you because you're you're that much better at this type of thing," and it's a more general thing. But the way it 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 spells right. out in that kind of buy down, you're right. That's that is a, almost a different yeah. animal. You're, but you know what? Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, uh, n- not not uh, not to not to put words in your mouth, Novellus, but I found that. New players to this who've never played role playing games before have less trouble with that than some of the folks coming from other systems. I don't know if you've seen that too, hmm. but there's still a there's still a learning curve for a new player. Mm-hmm. But my new players who are because I have quite a few that have never touched a role playing game, my wife included, mm-hmm. and she took quicker to that system. Was I I had the same issue where someone thought, oh, edge, I add this, so my sixteen to eight, no, no, it's not. Yeah, you know, I think it's. People yeah. are so used to looking for bonuses, I think, in some existing games in the market. So, Interesting. See, what, 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 it, what it came down to me was is that I, don't, I, don't, I try not to describe edge and pool as being stronger, faster, smarter words. Um, both edge and pool have to do with how much you can accomplish over time not how much you can accomplish on any one given task. Hmm. How how high, how far you can go because if you've got a task that's let's say, you know, difficulty 6 
and you've got tier two characters who can who can put two levels of effort in. Right. They can bring that dif- anyone who's tier two can bring that difficulty level down to four. Yep. The question is not how easy it is; it's how much you've got left after you've made Afterwards. it easy. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, I mean, I, I kind of think of it as, you know, each of those stats is kind of that character's stamina in that area, and the edge means that they, it kind of extends that, that those numbers. Yeah. Is that what you're kind of saying? So, yeah, and, yeah, that's exactly right, and, and it, it's, you know, it's all reserves. There's very little that gives you... Uh, you know, it's inherent to a character that gives you bonuses for particular types of tasks. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's 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 a few you know skills and things here and there that'll mm-hmm. give you some bonuses, but th- there's a limit to how far that can go. Yep. Yeah. And um, and so uh, uh, that the way engine pool works, it's almost as if I almost like if I'm taking someone who's played other games, mm-hmm. um, I'll start off by talking about the skills because that works the way they expect Mm -hmm. and then talk about edge and pool as if it was like, uh, you know, mana points and stamina from a, from a a computer game, Mm -hmm. you know, because that's, that's a mechanic that, 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 that's a mechanic that people understand too is, you know, when you cast a spell in, in, in a a computer game, you know, that little blue line moves over to the left Mm -hmm. and that, and that looking at it that way uh, helps out a lot as far as, you know, a lot of times, um, you know, people are used to D&D and games like that is like, oh, this, this, this strength score means that I can lift this much mm-hmm. or I get this much of a bonus or what have you. Mm-hmm. And they, they kind of have a, they know what that maximum they can achieve is. Yeah. But, but. The, the the Numenera is different, you know. The cipher system is different in that, you know, that maximum is, that you can achieve is a lot more complicated. Yeah. So people are people who are looking for those that kind of character, which is very common with a lot of other systems because they're built around that kind of achievement. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they, they can take a little time to find their way, but I found that if they don't quite get it right off the bat. A few sessions of play will teach. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and, you know, the one thing I love about it is, is I've, in a lot of other games, there are certain things that only certain character types can do, period. End of story. In Numenera, pretty much anybody could do anything. It's just a matter of how hard is it for them, and do they have anything that can make it easier. That, uh, that pool, the pool system, um, as uh, Nobilis is talking, was really the number one stumbling block for my group mm-hmm. was the fact, and I wish I had thought to explain, like he did, the uh, you know s- skills first, then pools as mm-hmm. reserve, because um, and I grokked that it was you know a, a resource that you're tapping into to make things easier over time, but uh, my group was just having a hard time, like you know, figuring out that if you have this much in your pool, it doesn't necessarily mean you can run this much faster or lift this much more weight. That was especially difficult on a... had a character who's playing a Vargellan who reforged completely, which means he could just basically take his points from any one pool and shunt them into any other pool pretty mm-hmm. much at, uh, in an yeah. instant. And so every time he had to, like, you know, 
lift the door to get into a Numenera site, and he'd put all his points into strength, mm-hmm. or, or a body, I should say. Uh, yeah. And it did not actually make it easier for him to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a point of frustration with him and some other players had other you know difficulties uh, getting that around their heads. And that, that was probably the really the only big stumbling block we had with the with the system was that. Very cool. Very cool. Well, not yeah. not cool. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, cool, cool that we've had that you've had that realization and and yeah, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's that's, cool that's, that's really the point of this episode and I, I probably should have said that at the top is that you know, my hope is that even in us just talking about it, talking about what's working and what doesn't work that you know, that that, that was a great point Nubilis, about the um you know, how you approach it to them because, you know, someone, someone else could use that and someone else could learn from that. Um, so, Jim, did you have was, anything you wanted to add? Yeah, I, well, the one thing is that I, I did find that, uh, yeah, it's I, when I first started playing Numenera, I kind of had that perception as well. I was confused a little bit by it. Mm-hmm. But then when I ran it, I found that it actually helped uh, in in the way that I ended up describing to people, uh, and this is actually one of the things I really liked about the game just in general, is tell me how your character is being awesome. Yeah. What things are you bringing in to make, to give yourself the best chance of success at this task? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, and so I, I would go through with, with them, because usually when I was, the, the game that I, the, the, set, the uh, scenario I was running was for uh, people who had uh, never played it before. Mm-hmm. And so that was the thing where I was like, okay, do you want to do X, Y, Z? What do you want to bring in on this? And the the pools became part of that. And so that actually, I think, helped uh, my players realize kind of the, you know, the that along with the things that they could do to make the system work for them. Yep. And so I did appreciate that when I got around to it. You kind of have to break out of the mold that and realize that pool does not equal stat score. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and exactly. I, I, I've been familiar with uh, Shadow Over Yesterday, which uses pool like way from way back in the early indie days, uh, which I guess isn't way back as I think it is, but um, <laughs> it's always way back. Yesterday is way back, right? <laughs> but you know, but trying the uh, my players uh, were mostly D and D and World of uh, Darkness mm-hmm. veterans, and so trying to get to them that pool does not equal. Uh, attribute mm-hmm. was a bit mm. different. They did like and got the hang up really quick. The whole uh, advantages or uh, you know what are you doing now to add the help? You've got these tools helping you. Yeah. You've got these points you're spending. There's those pools. Come on. Uh, and you know this uh, you know tactical. You've got higher ground. You know tactical advantages like that. Cool. Yeah, the the one thing that I start a game out with is saying to people, what's great about the Cypher system is it allows me as a GM to say yes. You know, in, in many games, you know, it's very easy to say, oh, no, sorry, you can't do that. Or, you know, no, that's not possible here. With the Cypher system, they've set it up that basically all you have to do is say, sure, you could do it, but this is how difficult it is. Um, and And that difficulty may be near impossible. Um, or even impossible. You can set the the thing impossible, but you got to be really, you know, thoughtful about that. So I I feel like it's less about defined rules. Oh, you want to do this? This is how you do this. It's more of oh, you want to do that? Let me tell you how hard it is. And yeah, it's 
I'm it's sorry. really a judgment call from the GM, and it's a lot less of uh, constraining to the characters because once they know, oh, well, I can do anything. Well, I want to, you know, light that bug on fire. You know, it really opens up doors for them to really participate and not just be a, a, an automaton, automaton, which is what they uh, in a lot of games. I feel people end up players end up their characters end up becoming what were you going to say Josh uh, that's one thing I really like is uh, saying here's how difficult something is and mm-hmm. uh, like you want to bust through this ancient gateway to get to the uh, juicy loot filled Numenera site behind here well mm-hmm. here's how difficult it is mm-hmm. now I as a GM I don't know how you're going to get in there mm-hmm. but it's neat to see like okay here's the numbers we're looking at we want to get that down and have each player like just doing whatever they can to build more advantages, get more tools, and figure out, and just slowly, bit by bit, together, wearing that number down to where it's something uh, manageable. And it was just really satisfying mm-hmm. as a GM to see them do that. One of the one of the things that I like to do when 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 the characters are um, are putting together a campaign to beat a, a level 10 difficulty mm-hmm. um because it really yeah. when it comes to that it is that is you know that is something that requires campaigning yep is to give them ways to earn um you know a, a plus 1 or a level of difficulty bonus that can only be used once mm-hmm. so there if they get the difficulty down to 6 and they need an 18 mm-hmm. They know the chances are really good they're going to blow it, mm-hmm. and that they'll use up whatever it was that they got their bonuses with. Yeah, and they'll have to go through all that over again. Yeah. So if they've got a bunch of plus ones and bonuses uh, and, and difficulty bonuses that they can only use once, they're going to try to get that difficulty down as low as they can get it. Mm-hmm. You know, get get uh, you know get help and and it's like oh you know let's let's try that when we're tier three and we can put another another level of effort on it you know sure. and that sort of thing and um, uh, you know I handed them uh, 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 an artifact that was a level nine difficulty to understand very early on and they still haven't actually tried it because they're worried that if they fail badly, if they roll a one, that they'll, it'll blow up or something, mm. or just be destroyed. And, you know, very likely I would do something like that. So, <laughs> so that means that they're, they're, you know, one of the things they're always kind of thinking about is like, okay, how can we wrangle an advantage to, to understanding this thing? Um, and it becomes a, kind of an ongoing kind of mini campaign within the, the within the game to assemble the res- necessary resources. All right. Well, that's that's quite the discussion of what's working, um, and we kind of touched on what what isn't working. But does anyone have? I, I think Nobilis, you had something in particular. What doesn't work for you in, in the separate game, or, or hasn't worked? I, I keep getting caught up in what I'm doing and forgetting to do GM intrusions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, They're a yeah. fabulous tool. Mm-hmm. I love them, but I keep forgetting to do them, and, and that and that shortchanges the players. I agree. Um, now, I have one of them who refuses every time, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> uh, who just doesn't like having them, and yeah. I think when that happens, the best thing is to just not use them on them. Yeah, it's like okay, you don't get those those experience points. That's fine, mm-hmm. um, uh, because you know offering and having a refusal, um, all it does is slow them down even worse. Yep. So, um, so, uh, 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 but I don't. 
I, I, I try to give myself notes in, in my uh, prep to say, okay, here, here's a good one to use here, and here's a good one to use here. Right. Um, and what does it- I think the fact that they're so optional and so vague makes it difficult to kind of think them up on the spur of the moment. Mm-hmm. And so what I think would have been improvement is to to recommend to game masters from the beginning that every encounter that they write up, the first thing they could choose to think of is a GM intrusion to use in that situation. Mm-hmm. Not so much that they will use one every time, right. but... At least but, a starting place. A, a starting place for them. I know that all the monsters have got them listed, yeah. but I'm usually not u- going off of the best the area itself, yeah. I'm going <laughs> off of my notes, and so I need to put them into my notes. And so... I'm not saying that it's a bad I don't say it's a bad mechanic. It's a great mechanic. I think yeah. it's presented a little too nebulously. Mm-hmm. Uh and the necessity of them is mm-hmm. too nebulous. Yeah. Um I, I, yeah, I could that, I could imagine not having them. And I mean I and I was gonna ask you if, if it's just maybe the, the type of intrusions you're offering. I have players that turn them down. I have players that that will think about it before you know, a couple of seconds ahead of time. I mean, it's just the way that I run the games that I run, but um, I don't know if this might work for you. When I was starting out, a trick I did, I love playing with poker chips. I think it comes from the Savage Worlds background before Numenera and, and mm-hmm. the Cypher system. And what, it, right. What I would yep. do for that, just I'll toss it to anyone else, you know, Nobilis, you or anyone else having challenges with, with offering them, is... Behind the GM screen that I have or where I'm at, I usually have a player card for each player. And what I do when I started was I would take blue poker chips and I would put two on each player. Just as a reminder, once in this game, these mm. are the GM's XP for uh, – sorry, GM, this player's XP mm-hmm. for their GM intrusion. Mm-hmm. And that would prompt me to do them. Nice. That's that's a that's really a good, good idea. It, it works on tabletop. Um, fortunately, two out of my three games are not. But yeah. – um, uh, but, but most uh, of my games aren't either. So what I do, I mean, as a as a GM, I still have the chips. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I yeah. run seventy five percent of my games online, and yeah. I still. I'm not again. I'm not trying to say this is works for everyone. No, that. But the the that, other the other end maybe would be if if your players are turning them all down, maybe look at no. what what you're offering them. I just have, I have one who turns yeah, them down. Yeah, yeah. I got gotcha. you. That's, I've played a lot of Fate, and my group's played a lot of Fate, so GM intrusions are pretty, oh, yeah. uh, pretty uh, uh, well established yeah. and uh, uh, pretty much a, a reflex anymore for me. Yeah. I do like the idea of the uh, poker chips as a tactile remembrance, though, just mm-hmm. in just in case. That's that's clever. Yeah, I use the white for for XP, and I use the uh, the, the 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 blue for the for the GMI XP. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Well. Yeah, you know, uh, well, I have a whole hard time rewarding XP in general. Um, the, the my biggest problem with the GM intrusions is I tend to have a lot of people rolling low and and getting the ones, you know, the GM intrusion <laughs> from rolling a one. So I feel guilty throwing <laughs> other, you know, uh, random GM intrusions on when they're hitting the one so often. Well, I think one of the things that GMs are kind of uh, 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 are kind of um, trained not to do is to have the party be defeated. Yeah. And if they're rolling low, um, 
uh, one thing I've done once is to say, is to hand out a universal um, intrusion that mm -hmm. is one for everybody mm -hmm. and say, um, you, you know, you're basically, you know, <laughs> this, the, the, everybody's already in pretty bad shape. Um, I'll give you all an XP if you surrender. Yeah. That's and, nice. And I, and I guarantee that you, I won't kill anybody yeah. right off the bat. There'll be yeah. chances to, we, you know, this won't be the mm -hmm. total party kill. It's not the end of the game. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'll give you all an XP if you just surrender now rather than go through the bother of actually beating down the last couple people who are mm -hmm. still standing. <laughs> um, because that, I mean, once, once a couple people have gone down out of like a, two or three, uh, out of uh, three or four characters, mm -hmm. um, it's, if they haven't already taken out one or two of the opponents, it can be really hard for them to win. Yeah. So um, at that point, I think that that uh, uh, you know that that would that's a way to first of all um, shorten things for the people who can't do anything, mm -hmm. um, and second of all, get them to realize that defeat doesn't mean the game's over, and de defeat doesn't mean the game's not fun anymore. Right. Right. Um, yeah, I've always and, I've always liked the story concept of that of that you know the party having to surrender because it's you know pretty overwhelming odds, but just gamers are just not built to do they they can't see the the story benefit of that they only see the the defeat side of it and and typically right but if you say it ex say if, if you say it ex explicitly as a GM intrusion rather yeah. than let the mechanics do it, yeah, yeah. it feels different. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, well, uh, you, you gave me a good segue there. Um, what Has anyone had to deal with PC death in Numenera? It's too hard to die. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't no. happen. You know, it, it, yeah. it, you know you, you, the worst that happens is that you're down, and then when you stop doing things, mm -hmm. you know, most of the enemies, when you're down, the enemies will start focusing on the people who are still a threat. Sure. It's um, not. It's not. It's not impossible, but it definitely is a challenge to off a PC. Uh, I think in in, in the Cypher System games, mm -hmm. uh, but I also think part of that ends up is not because of the system. I'm pretty sure uh, in my time as a as a game master, I can off my PCs. I've gotten rather good at it over the years. <laughs> uh, but I think there's two challenges as a game master that are facing me. Number one. Uh, is that you? Because the game is story based, you you develop these story with these characters, mm -hmm. uh, and you realize if you off the character, and it's not the time to off them. You may have plans for that character. I think in New Era or the Strange, you may have those plans set out because that's how the game the game feels. And I think the the, the second reason is there are a lot of resources a player can use mm -hmm. uh, to, to, to not die. die. I've almost died as a player quite a few times. Mm -hmm. uh, I have not. Killed anyone yet? But I've come really close, really close. I don't have anyone. My, yeah, my players really like holding on to their first recovery, the the, the, the you know the one second recovery, mm -hmm. yeah. in order to in order to be able to rest themselves back from losing a pool. Yeah. Um, hmm. it, it 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 definitely you know they don't like getting getting you know they know that when the the first time any character uh, loses their first pool, they know they're in trouble, mm -hmm. and they'll usually start extracting themselves from the situation. That 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 
what you just described to me leads me to question. Do you let your characters choose which recovery they go with? No. Do, do you do it, them out it, of it always sequence? goes in order. Always okay, goes okay. In order. that's what I thought. I just Yeah, always. Okay. Um, I, and I'm not saying I do that, but that what you said with you when you said they were saving that first recovery. Well, no, yeah, they save all their recoveries. Yeah, they'll, they'll they'll let the pools yeah. go down pretty low before they take any of them. Yeah, yeah, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. All right. Um, interesting. Um, yeah, I've, never, I've never had any characters die. I've just had I've had them run in terror. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, Okay. Rather, that's than, even rather better. than face something like, no, we we don't want to deal with that right now. That's- you know, and that's that's another thing. I don't really encounter a lot with with gamers that I play with. Most of them are like, shoot, yeah, it's a dragon 15 levels higher than me in D&D. <laughs> I'm in, you know. They, they they had run into enough weird stuff down in the down in the hole that by the time the. By the time the last thing comes, like, okay, we're right. done. We're leaving. Right. <laughs> and what I do like, certainly, about the Cypher systems, but, you know, Numenera specifically, they don't really encourage, you know, murder hoboism. You know, they, they really encourage thinking outside the box on how to deal with things and that you don't always have to kill it to, you know, be successful. So, well, cool. Um, well, next, um, how do you go about injecting the weird? I'm going to ask Josh on this one. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I do a couple different things. Uh, I kind of do a thing I like to do a lot, and what I did, especially with the, the map you all saw I did of the cold waste. It's kind of what um, I suspect Grant Morrison does and um, uh, Stephen Moffat do is where they will come up with the name, uh, an evocative name of uh-huh. something that doesn't even necessarily have to make sense, but you put it out there where the players aren't, uh-huh. and then it sits there in the background, and they go, well, what is that? What is that? And 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 then as the GM, I, I come up with the name, and I work downwards, and I say that's, you know, well, here's the uh, Monastery of Worms. Well, that's an interesting name. What What is it? Well, uh-huh. pilgrims worshiping. Worms. Well, what kind of worms? Probably very large ones, perhaps sapient, or the uh, uh, the. Uh, See, I'd go the other way with weird. I'd go bone forge. Tiny, tiny worms. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they hadn't got like there yet. So I don't know. But like I, the bone forge, you know, well, they're making machines out of corpses or something. But I, I'll work top down like that. I've also worked uh, bottom up, where I'll just think of well, what is something that's going to break their expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, to, to me, the expectations are what's most important. So, so for example, um, uh, the players in my, in my main game are uh, exploring the beanstalk. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had encountered, uh, they, they had captured an airship at some point, a liftstone airship, and um, were planning on, on just riding it up to see what's at the top of the beanstalk. Mm-hmm. And and or at least to reach some of the levels above what you know what what was on the ground, <clears throat> and I had to ultimately decide what the beanstalk was, and what of course everybody expects that it is is access to outer space because that's what beanstalk means to 20th century 21st century people. Mm-hmm. Well, it can't mean that in Numenera. It, if if there's anything, it can't be. It's a launch platform, mm-hmm. um, and uh, uh, and what uh, what I've turned it into in my game is a 
Tesla-style broadcast power unit. Ooh. And basically, all the stuff on in the whole Theta, in, in the Steadfast and the Beyond, all the stuff, all the weird-ass stuff that uses more energy than you could possibly pack into a little device, mm -hmm. they're all run by picking up the emanations from this device. Interesting. Yeah, the... And and now they haven't discovered that yet, but mm -hmm. they're they're all expecting that the reason it's so tall is because you need to get to whatever it is at the top. Mm -hmm. And what they don't realize is that the reason it's so tall is to have line of sight on everything. Yeah. <laughs> I hope they don't listen to this podcast. Yeah, they'll no, listen now. <laughs> they don't. They don't listen to it. Yeah. Well, no, no. <laughs> I, I want I them to listen to. This podcast, but not this particular episode. Keep digging, David. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, it's, that, it's that breaking of expectations. It's because, yeah. uh, like, instance that we had, the one that caused everyone to run in terror was they, uh, you know, you're in a opening up the Numenera site. It's been closed for thousands, tens of thousands, millennia. Uh, they're down in the deep where no one has been, and they hear a baby crying, a human baby. Oh, and, yeah. You know, these are players that have been in any number of horror <laughs> games I've ran, and nothing made them go, what? Just totally creeped out. And though One of the first big monsters that I confronted my PCs with was a two-and-a-half-year-old who had been artificially <laughs> grown to 12 feet tall. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's kind of was... <laughs> Baby giant. Yeah, that's kind of yeah. what I had because it wasn't, you know, couldn't just be, you know, then the expectation couldn't just be a baby. You know, what came slumping through the uh, <laughs> corridors was the, look, a human, naked human infant, you know, the size of two elephants with no mouth <laughs> but two fanged mouths where their oh. eyes should be, crying oh from that was And that's where they mind. said, we are leaving. And they turned. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Well. Josh, is that map you mentioned, is that up on your blog? It is. Uh, I'll link it here in the chat for y'all. Another another piece of weird that's, that really should not be left aside is um, is the is the kind of the internal weird. Mm -hmm. Because the weird thing about this world is this is a world that is so, has been inhabited for so long that there is nothing left to mine. Okay. If you look at the, the way that the, 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 um, the descriptions of everything where people are mining resources, mm -hmm. all of them are things that were other things in the past. There's no yeah. pristine resources at all. And uh, even, the, even the concept of grit as being the, 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 even the, 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 the soil that you're in is just little pieces of technology that have fallen apart, you know. Man, and you're so, like salt in Saramancia. Yeah, and and um, uh, one of the things that I've introduced in my game is that while everybody looks like human beings, more or less, mm -hmm. they're not made up the way human be the way human beings we know are. Mm -hmm. um, they, the, you know, their their bodies incorporate plastic and stuff in them that m modern biological creatures would not be able to tolerate. Um, and in fact, all life is is able to tolerate um, uh, manufactured, you know, artificial ingredients because the artificial ingredients is all there is. Yeah. Everything is artificial, and the things that look 
things that look natural are still artificial. Everything has... Everything has at least one designer and probably more than one because everything's been made out of other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that getting to that, getting that to all the way into humanity itself being artificial uh, really gave my my uh, my players, not the PCs, because they, you know, the, the the characters, of course, they, this is the way they live, but they gave the players a brand new kind of outlook on the way the world was put together. Yeah. Um, the great yeah, the great thing about the ninth world is that there you anything you come up with you can't say well that's stupid and not not at all. But you know what? Things. That's there's that's there's a, no such thing as a bad bad weird. And all. that's important to point out though. I think and getting back to, to David's question about. What do we do to inject the weird? Because I think a lot of new GMs have a challenge injecting the weird. Mm-hmm. And Josh, what you said about like anything, I think that word anything needs to be like bolded, underlined, and just handed <laughs> to the players when they the GMs. I think a new GM, when given Numenera, the weird it stands on the back of the book, and players come expecting that. See, I when we started talking in, in this conversation. I completely agree that the cipher system is easy to learn, easy to pick up, but I think Numenera and The Strange are both very nuanced campaign settings. I totally agree. And they're easy to run, but they're a, I don't want to sound elitist because I can't I, I have my challenges as a GM, but you have to read <laughs> oh, that. Oh, go ahead. You ha- okay, I will. You have to read that book. You have to read the whole yeah. thing back to back to run Numenera the way it's Kind of been written to be run, uh, to, to 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 get that feeling. And if you, I, I, it, I don't, I'm not. Uh, I, yes, it's a good idea to read the book through. Um, I don't think you have to read every monster description. I don't think you have to read uh, every site location description. Um, I, I think that that you because I didn't. I mean, I started off playing just reading the bits that I needed for any particular game session. Mm-hmm. Uh I came to it very quickly that this was a setting that was a lot different than anything that, that looked on the surface like science fantasy, but once I dug deeper was a lot more nuanced than that mm-hmm. and had a lot more room to, for me to add my own nuance to it. Um and so in that regard I think it is something more of a challenge. Um but as I said, um it's a game that 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 does not um, punish um, improv. Yeah. No, uh, it, absolutely. Yeah, and and it, so you can throw things in, and like you said, you know, it's it. You can't really say it wouldn't be part of it. Um, so uh, I disagree that it requires close study in order to do it for any value of right. Um, I think you can you, you can just kind of jump in. It invites, however, it does very strongly invite, um, you know, looking closely at how it's all constructed because it does have it does have themes mm-hmm. that that are you, you that you do well to pay attention to. I, I think James's point is that you're potentially shortchanging because you're not dealing from as strong a deck as you would if you had more in-depth knowledge at this world that Monty and and uh, the others have built that it's it's a really you're absolutely right noble uh, you certainly can run it if you know the basics of the rules and you've got a, a an adventure or even a scattered thing that you've put together you can do it justice but 
I think James's point is that if you really if you've got some hardcore gamers that, that really want to get a lot out of the game, there's a lot in that book that could that could build up the the GM to be able to to more quickly because that's my struggle. I can't throw out something super quickly and and do that improv that you're talking about if I hadn't read as much of the book as I've had. Yeah. Um, if I don't have tools like the the creature cards, um, the the cipher decks, those types of things. Um, are, are, are my crutch because nobody's got the mind space to hold everything. Um, but you, you certainly need as much of it as, as you can in, in order to, it, it, it's an, as you said, it's a nuanced game. There's a lot of little stuff in there that, um, you can pull out and make it, um, uh, something that, that is super memorable. Yeah, point, point of, uh, contrast. Um, my group, we actually had problems with mechanics, but they uh, they picked up the world instantly. They mm-hmm. they grokked what it was about. It's like okay, it's post 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 singularity, mm-hmm. <laughs> where everything is you know it's you know significantly advanced science equals magic equals science. Yeah, uh, they they jumped on it really quick. And it's like mm-hmm. okay, there anything could happen when you go across this ridge. Right. Um, but yeah, we we actually had problems. Uh, all our problems came out mechanically and, and getting behind that. Uh, going back to injecting the weird, uh, one thing I, I certainly would recommend people not do is put any, and it's, this is brought up actually in the book, don't do anything that is anachronistic. Don't put in like the ruins of an old, like, you know, an old, uh, Chevette or, you know, a Coke machine yeah. in the middle of your Numenera site. Uh, yeah, don't. No, no. Yeah, that that will immediately, yeah. that immediately breaks the. I don't want to toss around the word immersion, but that's what it is. No, uh, no, a billion years in the future. Need to, yeah. it, it does not belong there. It belongs in a gamma world or something of gamma that world, nature. But, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, and I love gamma world. Don't get me wrong. No, you know, no, 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 absolutely. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I mean, but the 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 idea of the vending machine. Is is fine. It shouldn't be a Coke vending machine, and yeah. it shouldn't run on anything that the players easily recognize as currency. It should oh, dispense yeah. dreams and have a game. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 no, yeah. totally. Find honey. That feeling of just entering that very long code to try to get that one dream that's stuck in the back, mm-hmm. and the machine mm-hmm. says uh, sold out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and the the humor in it is that, as a GM, not to describe it anything like what people would think of as a vending machine, yeah. you know, even if yeah. that's what uh, essentially it, its function is. So, yeah. well, cool. No, we we covered a lot there. Um, what I'm going to do a quick hit around here. What is what's like a favorite standout moment from a Numenera game that you've encountered? I'll hit you with Jim Ryan. Oh, um, well, let's see. Favorite standout moments. Um, I think that uh, it, it's it's difficult to choose because there there are a lot of a lot of very cool things tend to happen. Um, but uh, I'll try to to speak more as uh, in in terms of the games that I've run. Um, just as a GM, it's it, it is always great when the uh, when the players surprise me. Um, I have. Uh, I have had cases where, um, okay, well, there's a, in the scenario that uh, that that I I've been doing in these conventions, the Towers of Glass scenario, um, 
one of the uh, uh, one of the towers that they go into to puts them in touch with uh, basically a uh, an undersea culture on a distant planet. Uh, this was, uh, and it's a very brief thing. It's a dying civilization, so there's uh, only a, a certain limited contact or things you can do with it, and there's only really con- uh, you know communication. But um, there is this moral quandary in there about well, they get all this power from this one very large sea creature that uh, they appear to be torturing, mm-hmm. and uh, there is a moment when the the PCs that go in and face that challenge are tested by the creature. It essentially makes a mental link with them. And uh, it was just interesting to see people's reactions. And I was uh, I was very uh, amused and interested when I got a player who decided to make a deal with it to help it escape. Uh, because he, he also knew full well that this creature uh, had fully intended to uh, eradicate the remains of the race that was using it as a power source mm. <laughs> pretty much mm. just totally commit utter genocide on it. There was nothing left but hate in its heart. Um, and he said, okay, yes. So uh, if you can provide me with uh, some of this knowledge that I'm seeking, then I'll be very happy to help you get away. <laughs> and uh, he actually went there and I was just, uh, the, the interaction was great. The role playing was deep and, uh, we were able to switch back and forth between, uh, you know, scenarios in his head and the other people watching from the outside pretty quickly, and it was just a, a very, very interesting scene, and I really enjoyed it. Very cool, James. So uh, a few weeks ago, I was running the third part of uh, John Marvin's The Sun Below, City on the Edge, from an online group, and. Uh, so quick spoiler alert, if uh, you haven't run the adventure, I guess mute this for like 60 seconds uh, or, or turn it off or fast forward it. Uh, but there, in, in the early on, you meet this NPC who has near godlike powers and ability. I don't know if you've all seen the Twilight Zone movie with the, the, the little boy who sure. can do anything with the cartoons sure. and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. There's an NPC like that very early on in the adventure. And very childlike, but knows everything, omniscient, omnipotent, the, the, the whole gamut. And I have a hard time usually injecting fear into my games. I tend to run very lighthearted games. And I was very surprised my players were terrified after just watching what happened to one player interacting. Even though their characters didn't know, uh, one player had an interaction with this entity that left his his player's personality completely changed. And uh, actually, he was carrying along a piece of a former villain they vanquished in his backpack. Oh, nice. And uh, the the villain was a sentient piece of moss that that they had to fight. And he was carrying this around, and he had asked this omnipotent creature to bring it back to life so he could converse with it. And at the end of the encounter... The omnipotent, I'm sorry, the, uh, the, the sentient moss is now in control of that player's character, and he's playing the moss as his character. <laughs> nice. But this, 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 cre- this entity allowed it to happen. So when the entity came up to the top of the, they were all on a ship and asked him to come downstairs for dinner, they didn't want to go. And, and it was a 15 minute debate of who's going first. I'm not going first. No, you, you, 
down the stairs you go. And you'd think I'd have some dragon waiting down there, but it was a little girl that was happened to be omnipotent. So that was just to watch them squirm for that amount of time in it's just a weird scenario, that was that was pretty fun. Josh? Um, I already talked about the giant baby that made them run, but uh, <laughs> leading up to that, um, they had just wiped out a, a group of bandits, my player characters, and that was the main mission was to get you know get these bandits that have been uh, there's a bounty on them, go kill them, uh, bring them back. First session, keeping things nice and easy. In the back of the bandits' camp, there was an old bunker from you know aeons before that they went and explored. Uh, and it was mostly just dressing, including having this great big uh, rolling, you know, hundred ton uh, circular door, which they uh, spent a lot of resources and time and pool to open because, by God, they were going to open that see what was behind it. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of knew it was behind. I knew that behind that was going to be like this <laughs> shaft just going, you know, uh, going straight into the earth. Big. It's about 100 yards across. And they're used to like narrow dungeon corridors of, you know, 10 by 10 rooms. And this is a 100 foot or 100 yards circular shaft uh, going straight down into the core of the earth with like about 50, you know, halfway through there's like a red metal, you know, structure strut going all the way, you know, down the way. And I had no intention of them climbing down that. But by God, they were determined. Uh, here's this unusual thing, and we were going to move heaven and earth to go, you know, see what it is and, you know, screw the GM and his plans or lack thereof. <laughs> um, so they did everything they could and did to get across to that, you know, that big red mechanical shaft where they could, you know, climb down because it had more structs and structures, and I had to come up really quickly with uh, pretty much anything I could think of, because <laughs> there needed to be something down there. Yeah. Uh, so I, I liked the Murden in the, uh, from the Beast area, and I was going to have them somewhere else. I'm like, no, I guess I'm putting out the Murden right now. <laughs> nice. And that's where they found the tracks. That's where they first heard the baby crying, because I'm like, well, there's got to be something down here also that is going to be not what's where it's supposed to be cool. and it grew from there but yeah just i love seeing the players in any game but it was especially uh uh gratifying here just to totally go off rails and follow their own whim without you know without seeing anything resembling a railroad track anywhere very cool nice. and uh nobilis uh, I have to say that the uh, the moment when the um, when the uh, player characters realized that the monster that they were facing was in fact the child they were supposed to be rescuing um, <laughs> was 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 the, uh, the 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 real moment of choice and um, uh, and the uh, and the fact that the the system allowed me, as I said before, it allowed me to change the conflict to calm down the two-and-a-half-year-old, uh, the giant two-and-a-half-year-old, um, was just as, just as much of a challenge as it would have been to fight it, mm -hmm. because I just gave it rage points <laughs> and had their quote-unquote attacks reduce those rage points until they were gone. Um, uh, 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 and it and it involved as much tactics and as much 
um, use of pools and and things as um, uh, as any boss fight ordinarily would mm-hmm. um, and and they, they came out of that at the end impressed not only with the rather amazing adventure that they that they loved but also you know um, completely sold on the system mm-hmm. at the same time so that was a really that was like the moment when we knew we were going to keep on playing <laughs> Very cool. you know, and those those are always those are always mm. fun moments. I mean, everybody's gone. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. We're in. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. That was- it's the cipher system has the basis for a childcare simulator. That's very good. <laughs> nice. Yes. For for me, sometimes it's the little moments. Uh, my first um, con uh, led game in uh, Gen Con 2013, uh, and I've talked before about a moment that I had in that where it was uh, uh, they were at a, a market, and one of the characters was was the Numenera, you know, main guy. Um, and he started talking to a girl who was running a booth about old Numenera, and they had a connection. That was a really cool moment. But in that same game, in that same town, um, and this is from the Vortex, uh, and a lot of stuff was added in, um, some of it prompted by my friend uh, Chris Fitzgerald, who was going there with me. And you know, we had the, the trip from, from Charlotte up to Gen Con to, to talk about some stuff, and he gave me this idea about um, you know most of these towns if they don't have a lot of visitors if if it's a fairly isolated you know world where people grew up in one area even though the means could potentially be possible to travel all over the world people just don't so uh, I, you know he thought well there probably wouldn't be much of a, a tavern or this town to town because you would why would you need it you know so he came up with the idea that, that, that there would be kind of a, a couple who would essentially serve as an unofficial B&B place um, for any strangers who happen to come into town and happen to need you know, a place to stay. So, um, and, and he had, had this whole thing thought out that they were um, uh, that she was barren, and, and because of that, that's one of the reasons they do this, because they like to take care of people and, and, and that... So I did this. It was it essentially became faulty towers, you know, with the the, the, the husband coming in and the, the wife going out. And, husband, and it was a, it was it was one of those scenes completely unwritten in the thing. And this was a con game for 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 God's sakes, but they totally bought into it. We're dying laughing, you know. He was saying one thing about her, and then he'd leave, and then she'd come in say something about him. It was it was one of those moments that the cipher system freed me to do because it's about a story. And, and that really, that really is what connected to me to it. Now it's not weird. It's not got the sci-fi edge or anything, but it was a moment that everybody shared and everyone is buying into. And it became something more to them than just an adventure, a story. It was, it was a life. They were living a life. And this was the group that got to go to the next level and, and play Monty cook in the, or, you know, play under Monty cook for the second part. And, and that's great. Yeah. They, they had a great time and, and, and everybody agreed who, even those who had GM'd and, and watched this group, they agreed they, they deserve to go up to that next level. And, um, cause they were, they clicked like nobody's business, but that was, a, that was a pretty special moment for me for sure. Uh, and just to complete the circle, I'll uh, since you went ahead and uh, and named him, I'll go ahead and say that Chris Fitzgerald actually was the player that I was talking about earlier who had made the deal with the sea creature. And that that <laughs> I can totally see him do that. 
Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Makes a lot more sense now, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, well, we've we've run a, a pretty full show here. Um, the the one last thing I wanted to kind of close with everybody um, is. You know, we we are fortunate to have a, a pretty good connection with the MCG crew, and as GMs, if you had the ability, somebody from MCG came to you and said, "We're making a glimmer, and you're deciding what it is about." What would you pick? Um, so I'm going to hit James up for this one first. Oh gosh, see, I know I know that our our focus here is. The is Numenera, but if I had to, uh, I just say I would actually right now ask for a a glimmer or a fractal or a frammer, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> that that might be a preview to the the Cipher System core book this summer, and maybe give us some alternate types now. Okay. Or what? Uh, uh, I know that for me, when I do my hacks, because I, I I just did the one for the, the hard sci-fi, and I'm doing a experiment right now where I'm running a campaign with eight sessions, and every two games we switch systems. So we started with Basic Fantasy RPG, we mm-hmm. went to Dungeon Crawl Classics Tuesday, and two weeks we go to Savage Worlds, and two weeks after that we go to Numenera. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would I would love to see. Okay, we're gonna do. Here's three fantasy types, ten pages, yeah. a quick show. That's what I'd like to see. Cool. If I had a magic wand or a cool. cipher. Josh, how about you? I want to see what's uh, past the borders of the map. <laughs> uh, the, you're getting that the the Ninth World Guidebook coming out. Um, you'll oh. be shocked by some some of the stuff that comes out. They they uh, and we talked about this in the last episode. They define the new the the Ninth World supercontinent, but even in this Ninth World Guidebook, that adds a lot more to the areas that have been defined in the in the original book, but also some completely new areas outside those borders. Yeah, um, it's want. still like a tenth of the overall uh, supercontinent. So, um, good job, of, guys. Yeah, plenty Thanks of room. For, yeah. Thanks for fulfilling my request. Yeah, plenty of room yeah. for the, uh, can the make GM. out the check to. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. See, ask and you shall receive, sir. So, um, well, cool. I, I, I was stopping on, on your your idea. I, I'd love to see more and more and more of that stuff too. So. Yeah, I mean, I want to see. I don't, and I don't want the areas they've dis- described it now. I really don't need any more detail because I like the fact that they give a good idea but leave a lot of open space to fill um, but I just want to I want more and different from on um, you know different edges I don't really need any more definitions sure I just want more more weird sure well cool also, check, uh, check out the last uh, the last episode and you'll, you'll get some ideas of what's coming in that guidebook also more, more marger I like the marger I'll yeah like the marger <laughs> uh, player character margers that's what I want oh interesting <laughs> all right no bills um, I've been playing a bunch of Dragon Age Inquisition lately, mm-hmm. um, probably more than I ought to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would like to see um, uh, some attention paid to something on a more epic scale. Okay. Um, uh, you know, we, we, we're given the steadfast and all of the different um, uh, little, you know, sub-nations that make it up and their machinations against each other, mm-hmm. but those are all just like pieces on a chessboard. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to see some stuff, uh, you know, that kind of because a lot of the stuff we've seen is kind of focused very much on outside the steadfast. I would like to see something that gives um, some some guidance on running a campaign where the actions of the PCs have political consequences. Mm-hmm. And how do you handle, you know, 
um, uh, uh, keeping track of diplomatic status and 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 things like that. Um, uh, the way the, the way you see very very highlighted very strongly in Dragon Age Inquisition. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah, as a Dragonlance and Eberron fan, I, I love the idea of the, the nation states and and what their flavors are and what their interactions would be in a in a grander world scale. So that that would be pretty cool. Pretty cool. Jim? Well, um it's, it's partially kind of I guess what's already been said uh to a certain extent in that I I'd be interested to see glimmers that talk about how to tell different kinds of stories mm-hmm. um using the using Numenera um say for because we we have examples of glimmers where they talk about you know inserting more horror or uh you know, just injecting the weird they talk about uh, putting in romance mm-hmm. um I think it would be interesting to do more things kind of like that for sort of other fields if you want to sort of play with those like um you know espionage for example mm-hmm. uh to hit a little bit on what nobilis said uh just um uh, sort of uh, political uh, uh uh maneuvering and things of that nature intrigue diplomacy um Diplomacy, mm. yes, uh, <laughs> magical, magical diplomacy, um, and uh, you know the, the, the things of that nature. Um, uh, just different types of stories, mysteries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, just uh, that th- th- there seems to be a lot of different kinds of stories you could tell in this world, and I think it'd be interesting to see how they would sort of bend their minds toward. Uh, Reaching out uh, outside of the, the traditional comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah, no, that's a that's a that's a nice one. I like that. Different narrative styles for a new Yeah, game. yeah. They get different feels. Cool. Cool. Well, alrighty then. Um, I think that's a, a good ending for the show. Does anybody have anything else they wanted to add, real quick? Going once. Going twice. <laughs> all right. Well, it's been a real pleasure having you all on the show. Um, maybe we'll do this again in, in the um, not so distant future. Um, you know, not a billion years in the future. Um, but uh, I did want to, and you know, we're not going to do a kicking it forward since this was a pretty uh, uh, talky sh- uh, show about all the different uh, and with all these different guests in this roundtable style. So we'll have a kicking it forward in our, our next episode. Um, which right now is not uh, specifically on the books. Um, this is a pretty quick one after the last one we had because there had been so much time uh, between the other episodes. So um, I hope you, everybody enjoyed this. Um, we'd love feedback if uh, if this worked for you, if you'd like to see more of this style thing. Um, and uh, hope you enjoyed the show. Um, thanks, James, for, for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Is there anything uh, 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 anywhere else we can look for you? Are you going to hit any cons in the near future? I will be at uh, Gen Con again this year, okay. so getting ready to, be, to to start. I know it's what six months away, but Jeez. Yeah. I'm going to start prepping for it now. Uh, if you're in the Pittsburgh area, uh, definitely look up Norwin Game Nights on uh, on Facebook. We're a Facebook group right now, but cool. that's you know, but uh, we'll be there every month. So. All right. Josh, you going to be at any cons or anything or? I'm going back to Gen Con this year, uh, unless, barring anything cataclysmic, I'll be running uh, Quags Games with Hex Games, Uh, and I've got the uh, blurbs all put together, because submission starts soon. Cool. Nobilis, thank you for being on the show. 
Gabilis, you there? Do we lose? Hmm. Um, muted? Oh, I, I was I was muted. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I, I had to, I had to I had to shout at the kids. Um, yeah. Uh, the um, no. I my con of choice every year. I never miss it. Is Balticon okay. um, Memorial Day weekend in Baltimore. Okay. Um, and it's not a particularly a gaming con. There is some gaming there. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe I'll run something while I'm there. I don't know. Cool. Cool. Jim. Oh well, uh, as usual. Uh, folks who are in the sort of area of the Carolinas can usually find me at most of the Mace events uh, as far as the gaming cons go. The big one, of course, is usually toward the end of the year, sort of in uh, in November territory where they have the main Mace in Charlotte. Uh, There's going to be a Mace West this year, uh, which uh, I'm looking at trying to get to, and uh, I may or may not make it to Mini Mace, which I think is this month. Hmm. Uh, possibly next month I have to look at it again sure. but uh, that one is uh, used to be a thing where you just go to a buffet and you just play role playing games all day and it was wonderful cool. and they had to move so now it's uh, they're still providing food but it's, uh, it's a slightly different thing but I'll have to see if I'm going to that um, I already have my tickets for Con Carolinas this year which is also in Charlotte and that takes place in the summer um, there is gaming there I will probably not be running any games but uh, I'm going to see if I can get in on any of the world building panels I'm uh, putting in my application I don't know if they're what they're going to do with it or if they're just going to look at it and laugh but we'll see cool. <laughs> cool. alright well thank you all for being on the show I hope everybody enjoyed the show and uh, tune in soon for a new episode of uh, Transmissions from the Ninth World there, we're, we sh- we'll be working on a similar show to this for Translating the Strange um, probably after a, another interview episode so uh, look forward to that as well so thank you all for listening and uh, hope everybody had a great show The Transmissions from the Ninth World podcast is not affiliated with Monty Cook Games. It has been produced under the Creative Commons license and is for entertainment and information purposes only. Music provided by Kevin McLeod.